Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, it's another great showing this weekend at the box office. Our thoughts on the big change with Twitter, TV ratings news, and how popular is Grand Theft Auto V? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the pop culture cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source. We truly appreciate being part of the broadcast here today. And my goodness, it's another stacked lineup of news of, all this great pop culture-y stuff that's going on. We're just like putting like in a potpourri of pop culture, just throwing that at you. And who here to break down a lot of this pop culture with me today than my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the professor of Humanity Media. Is Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Hey, hey, not much, man. Just uh, ready to talk some pop culture. What's up? Again, it's going to be a great program for you here today. We've got a lot to talk about with Josh and I, including stuff on the box office, Grand Theft Auto V, Mattel and Hasbro, all that and more coming up in a great show for you. Also as well, Rob McCallum with the Cosmic Crossfire and Jessica Boggs from the TV Ratings Guide and tvratingsguide.com. She's here to talk a little bit about what's going on in the TV scene and our good friend Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast with a recap of Week 10 in the NFL. But it's another great weekend at the box office. Josh, I know you got a chance to check out the numbers. Thor once again reigns supreme with Ragnarok, but it's actually a pretty good slide. You know, there, there's always a slide in the second week, but usually these blockbusters have a tendency to go maybe in the high 50s, low 60s, sometimes a little bit more when it comes to a decrease percentage-wise from one weekend to the other. This weekend, it actually looked like it decreased right around 50 to 55%, which is actually above expectations. So I ask you, Josh, with all that going on, plus two other movies that came out this weekend, Murder on the Orient Express and Daddy's Home 2, which both really exceeded expectations as well, what does that signal to you as far as signs that the box office, at least for the interim, might be getting a little bit healthier? Well, okay, so look at it this way. These movies opening weekend, so far they've done, Daddy's Home has done 30 million. Murder on the Express has done, you know, just north of 28 million. That's actually pretty strong for them because they were both scheduled to go around 15 to 20 million as far as what they were predicted at. That's true, but like they're, it's just going to decrease as we go. And yeah, that's, that's okay, because I think they're predicting lower numbers for these movies as they come out. But 
Um, like Daddy's Home 2 has been just getting beat to death when it comes to reviews. And I don't know much about Murder on the Orient Express. I haven't read a lot on it. But, I mean, yeah, I guess it, it's good. But it's not like this is what you, you'd expect from like a movie, a typical, uh, you know, like Ronchcom movie. Thor still won out the weekend, though, with 56 million, you know, a little bit over 56 million. And that's not counting what it's going to make today, too. So, yeah, I guess, like, in a way, it does give hope to the box office, but at the same time, it doesn't really. It's just, it's a, just another movie that's going to bring in a low amount of dollars for them. To me, it signals that there's these people are actually a little bit more excited about going to the movie theaters because the holdover for Thor Ragnarok was stronger than what was expected. Plus daddy's home too, which as you, you know, I cannot agree with you more just given just roasting on reviews. I believe the Metacritic right now and rotten tomatoes are both under 20%. So that tells me right there that at least people were willing to go ahead and check the movie out in the first weekend and murder on the Orient express, which received mixed reviews about a 50 to 60% on both those sites. It debuting about $10 million above what it was expected to do is to me, a very strong sign for that movie. And plus the fact you got to consider the target age group for murder on the Orient express doesn't really always go and check out movies in the first weekend. They'll usually see it during the week or later in its run. So seeing it up front like it did is actually a pretty good sign that maybe people are starting to head back and get into that rhythm of going back into the box office. So maybe that's that's a sign that there's going to be a little bit healthier returns going forward at least until maybe the end of the year when Last Jedi continues its run into January and whatnot. So hopefully there's some good signs there overall. You and I are going to be talking here in a few days on the PCC Multiverse about how well Justice League may do upcoming. So that's definitely uh, people getting back in that rhythm of going back to the movies may be a good sign for Justice League that it might hit the numbers that it needs to hit going forward for DC as well. I, I don't know. It's a the, the box office is a it's is a weird thing lately, and it's looks like it's only going to get worse as we go here. But I can't really make these predictions unless I see like a movie come out that isn't uh, like a superhero movie or you know a big Disney movie or something. And you know, Daddy's Home and Murder on the Orient Express give us some data, but we'd have to see further on down the line as more movies come out how this is going to affect us, and especially with what's going on in Hollywood right now. I think that there's a danger of things getting worse here before they get any better. That's an excellent point. I, I didn't factor that in. So that's something absolutely to think about that there could be a backlash from the public at large over what's going on within the Hollywood medium right now. So that's definitely something right there to think about going forward. And we'll definitely try to keep a closer eye on that as well as it relates to the box office movie season. Something else to think about and a possible backlash that could form and has in some ways already is the video game industry when it comes to microtransactions. And I want to hear your thoughts, Josh, on this, because I know you've been on the Super BS Gamescast, which you can catch on all the great Humanica Media channels, talking about microtransactions and how it's affected the industry. And we've also talked about it a little bit on this show as well. I know for a fact that Battlefront 2, after its beta, a lot of criticisms came about in regards to the loot boxes and microtransactions and pay-to-win scenarios that were proposed to be created by what Star Wars Battlefront 2 
might have been doing. I, I know they tweeted out a bit, made some changes, hopefully for the better for fans out there. But their upfront reason why in doing this is because they're going all the the maps and the DLC and and that would normally be paid for on a season pass or whatnot that they're actually going to make free and and balance that out by offering these microtransactions. That is, okay, still kind of iffy to me, but I understand the process, what's going on. They they don't like that fragmented as far as population that they had in the original Star Wars Battlefront, so I get that. But just recently, Take-Two, well, the makers of GTA V, NBA 2K, the upcoming Red Dead Redemption 2, and so much more. They recently announced during their shareholders and and reporting of their numbers that, quote, we aim to have recurrent consumer spending opportunities for every title that we put out at this company, end quote. I'll tell you what, that to me reeks of microtransactions. And if that's the case, every 2K game going forward, whether it's a new Bioshock game, whether it's Red Dead Redemption, whether it's a new Borderlands game or whatever from 2K, WWE, NBA, what have you, that tells me that they're going to try and sneak in so many of these, well, they call it consumer spending opportunities. I call it microtransactions, which at times can really infuriate. I know the NBA 2K crowd is really upset on the way that they've gone about the microtransaction process there. So I ask you, Josh, with all this shift in the industry created towards a future of microtransactions and the decisions that EA and 2K have made, how much of a backlash do you think this is going to be created within the video game industry at large? Yeah, it's going to create problems. Well, because you look at it this way, we pay $60 for a game and, you know, now there's this big thing, I forget, I don't even know who started it now, but I, I'm pretty sure EA was like at the, the head of it with Battlefield and some of the other stuff they made, but, you know, it's good and it's bad. It's bad because that's what we're going to get from now on. We're going to get loot boxes, we're going to get microtransactions, and the question is, how long is it going to be until they make it so you have to buy certain items, you have to pay to get into a certain place, you have to basically pay to finish the game. How long is it going to be until that happens? And then on the other side of that, they keep making these big, long games. And they know that this is an issue. They know that people you know, in their 30s or 40s gamers of the, that age cannot sit there like they used to and just devote hours and hours and hours to these video games. So they, they not only make it so you want to actually like play the game and have a fun experience, you have to buy all this extra stuff, but they make it so in order to not have to sit there for a hundred hours, you pay him money and it's lazy and it's greedy. And I think it's going to cause a lot of problems here soon, especially if, you know, a lot of kids have their parents' credit cards set up to their Xbox accounts and stuff like that. And that's also going to be seeing some backlash from that, but I'm just, I'm not very happy about it. I don't, I don't like it. You know, it's not the best way to go about things. And they knew that the season passes kind of pissed people off. And now they're expecting something like this to not piss people off. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it? In one way, it's understandable because the price of $60 of a video game doesn't go as, first of all, not many people are buying video games at $59.99. The way retailers are, are discounting them, it's, it's regardless. But I know exactly when these retailers sell the game below $60, it's, that's on their own doing and it's not necessarily 
always taken out of what they're paying back towards the EAs and 2Ks of the world. But that being said, I understand $60 doesn't go as long of a way as it once did, but that's still these situations where they're trying to manufacture more and more income for themselves. To all of us, it's just very disheartening. But when you consider the fact that more and more people are, are spending money on this and biting the bullet and say, well, I'm not happy doing this, but I'm going to go ahead and pay to win, or I'm going to go pay and get that nicer stuff. That's, to me, it's just very disheartening. Uh, with Overwatch, it's more aesthetics. With, with some other games, it's also more about aesthetics. And if you don't want to pay for extra, whatnot, or those fighting games that have always in the past offer DLC for extra clothing, extra costumes, extra characters, what have you, that's fine. That's extra and that's up to people as far as they want to go ahead and do that. That's, that's always been accepted on that end. When it comes to season passes, when they became a norm, at first you were right. Everybody was upset about it. They should have just made it I, I, you know, really optional. That, but that tells me when they've already got season passes already announced before the game comes out that they are just shortcutting the actual original game as a whole. That is a problem that I've always had it with. When there was a game like Oblivion or, or Skyrim and they came with extra DLC, that, that's a 100-hour game, both of them, in and of itself. So that's fine that they would if they would charge people more for DLC. That, that, that's cool, and I can hang with that. But when it comes to those games that you would pre-order the season pass before the games come out, that to me is an issue. And this goes even further, whether they're basically tell you in a lot of cases and these upcoming games possibly in the future, like Battlefront 2, which we'll talk more about on Friday's show as well, that tells me this pay-to-win scenario makes it truly unfair. And, and that I really have an issue with. And when you have a pay-to-win scenario, that is truly the wrong way to go as far as a video game developer. Right. So, you, you know, look too, like with multiplayer pay to win, you have instead of going by the rank system like they used to, there you can basically pay. It's like being really good at a sport and playing in the beginner league. So you can pay to like, you know, have these really great weapons that just dominate everybody and still play with noobs so you could level up really fast. And I know that was a problem for Battlefront. What they're doing too is like, saying like, once again, here, we made this game, you're going to spend the money on it, and we're going to deliver you a completely incomplete experience. And it's just not fair. And it, it's, it's kind of greedy, man. It's like, gamers are, are, we're cheap, man. We don't have money to spend on all this stuff unless we're in high school and we're using our parents' credit cards or something. But I think that there's going to be some backlash from this, and it's not going to work as much as they think. The idea of games as a service is, it's having its moment right now, but I don't think it's going to last very long. What are your thoughts out there on this continuing trend towards microtransactions, or as 2K puts it, consumer spending opportunities? What are your thoughts on this as a whole in the industry? Are you okay with this trend? Because you realize these, these developers and these publishers have to make money, and they have to go ahead and provide these type of things in order to go ahead and and continue their profitability? Or do you think there's other, better, smarter ways of going ahead and presenting these games to consumers out there? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, Humanican Media, Game Source, and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. And also share us your thoughts. Did you get a chance to go see any one of the three movies that are out there this weekend? Thor, Ragnarok, 
Murder on the Orient Express and Daddy's Home 2. What are your thoughts on that? We'd love to hear that as well. It's going to be a great show again. Indeed, we've got Rob McCallum standing by with his thoughts on Twitter's big changes coming up in the Cosmic Crossfire. Also as well, we've got Jessica Boggs from TVRatingsGuide.com. She's going to stop by with some thoughts on the TV rating scene. And of course, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He is going to stop by with a recap of Week 10 in the NFL. And of course, Josh and I will be back talking a lot of great things, including how GTA 5 just crossed a major milestone within the video game industry and thoughts on Hasbro and Mattel may be coming together. We're going to share our thoughts on that indeed later in the show. But first, it's our man in the know when it comes to music on Mondays. It is Chad and Hyperschmidt. And this is Fighting Eyes. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do do people still use dials? We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, 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 comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. 
At Metal Geeks for Twitter. Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to the broadcast here today. As always, part of the Cosmic Crossfire, it's my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. He's got a whole bevy of projects that he's either doing, about to do, or has done a great job on, and you got to check out robmccallumfilms.com for all the updates on that. It's Rob McCallum. What's going on, my friend? It's me. I'm back. So tell me, Rob, what's going on in that wonderful realm of pop culture? Well, I think this uh, this thing that I read, this article, this uh, headline, this, this big press announcement, uh, goes well beyond pop culture and you could just call it media communication and that's that Twitter is doubling their character limit from 140 characters to 280 characters. I saw that. That's something I know that was in a test in a kind of like a beta phase from what I understand. Yeah, and uh, there are still a few countries that will be beholden to the original 140. I believe it's China, Korea, and there's another there's another nation in there that's that's escaping me right now. But for all of our English speaking listeners, you get to double your tweet size. How do you think uh, that's going to go? And what do you think the decision behind that is? And how is that going to affect the world of pop culture? Do you think? Well, obviously, it makes it a lot easier for people to express their views more completely. I'm not exactly in love with it myself. I kind of like the condensed version of the way it was or is currently. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that are more active on Twitter as far as from an interactive type. They send messages, they send opinions, things of that nature via Twitter. will find it more resourceful and useful. And obviously, it's the ideas for long term to keep twitter in that that growing stage where people will continue to use it and obviously rely by it because there's so many people out there that for good and bad have the tendency to rely on twitter for their communication to the outside world well first thing i'm going to say is just because you now have 280 characters does not mean you need to use all 280 characters with your little tweets, your little opinions, your little comments that you got to throw out there. I'm worried that this is just going to feed the uh, unintelligible backlash of trolling that, that occurs, and especially with the pop culture stuff that we discuss, where instead of seeing a rant of 10 tweets limited by 140 characters, we'll just see five really chunky ones. I don't know that this helps. I really like the brevity of a good and nice composed tweet. I think there's a little bit of an art form to doing 140 characters. I know with your pop culture Cosmo links and then the type of stuff that you like to write for advertising the show, you will appreciate the extra 140 characters per post and jam in a few more hashtags in there. But, well, that's uh, true, but I actually, when, when it goes up on Mixcloud, and because one of the stations that we use and utilize for downloading and streaming options is Mixcloud. And every time I upload to Mixcloud, they give me the option to do a separate tweet. 
And that's where, like you said, it's almost like an art form. You have to get creative on what you're going to put within that 140 character realm. Yeah, I think the early days it was like, okay, what words am I going to omit so that it still makes some sort of intelligible sense when people read it, even though if it sounds something from the Stone Age, then people started swapping numbers and letters in place of one another and then symbols. Now there's a really nice fine art to something that's slick and polished and 140 characters with, you know, maybe two key hashtags, maybe three, depending on what you're doing. So I think it'll be interesting to see what this does for the company, if it boosts valuation, if it helps decrease it. I think with the number of changes that Facebook has rolled out in the way that it almost continually seems to rub people the wrong way with every change that Facebook makes, this could be a good move for Twitter to expand its footprint in the social media scene much like Instagram continues to do. So in response to the negative against Facebook for the stuff that they seemingly always do, I think this could be a good move and make Twitter a little bit more of a dominant form. But I really like that uniqueness of the 140 characters that was there. You'll be able to say, I remember Twitter's early days. I could barely get half a sentence out there. Now you get a whole paragraph. Exactly. Uh, I am with you on that. Yes, I, I do for Facebook, I do a lot of hashtags and whatnot because I know it's also going to Twitter as well. But I understand the realm of 140 characters. I'm only looking in that sense to when I'm trying to reach out just those key hashtags to reach out and, and the rest of the message, unfortunately, will probably get lost because it goes beyond that. But for those specific tweets that I do send out, like I said, for when I upload to Mixcloud or something that I'm actually sending out specifically on Twitter, I do prefer the 140 character realm because I think it makes it concise. I think it makes it easier for, you, you don't have to go into extenuating circumstances or words or trying to find too many sentences or try to put something elaborate together, just quick and it's done. So yeah, absolutely 140 characters works for me. Uh, yeah, in some cases it would be nice that it can go longer, but 140 characters is something I've always said that that's fine with for me. And and also for, it, for me, it's easier to read. I don't really want to read extensive stuff on Twitter. Twitter is already like a huge jumbled mess of a news feed every time I look at it. So believe me, the shorter, the better for me on that. But unfortunately, that doesn't look it, like it's going to appear to be the case. That'll do it for another episode of Cosmic Crossfire here. Uh, we've got some good chats there about Twitter is doubling its uh, posting size to 280. You can message us on Twitter, of course. Weigh in with your thoughts. Gerald, where can they uh, reach out to us and let us know what they think? Let's try this first at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. Also, as well, Pop Culture Cosmos Game Source and Humanican Media on Facebook as well. I like it. All right. And don't forget to drop us a review if you're listening on iTunes. Those reviews. Help us with our reach, help us with our placement. And you know what? They make us all feel fuzzy and warm inside. That they do. We truly appreciate it. We've gotten several five-star reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts recently, and we're most appreciative of it. Gotten a lot of good words on social media about how well our show is doing, and we just cannot thank everyone enough for those kind words and comments. It certainly is inspiring. So thank you so much, and hey, We've got two shows out there now, maybe a third show, maybe a fourth. We're always considering options. We like where we are currently. You, you write to us and let us know. Sounds good indeed. Thanks so much, Rob, again, as always, for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and for another edition 
of the Cosmic Crossfire. 2017 is a pinnacle year for Rob McCallum Films. Coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary, Missing Mom, we're in the final stages to release Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in Kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity. Kitty Origins and Evolutions releases this year from Rob McCallum Films. 2017 is the year to set your future on fire. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And oh yes, it's that time again. Like a season premiere right in the middle of the actual TV season itself, the tvratingsguide.com. you got to check out their great site, which breaks down in detail the TV ratings as far as what shows on both broadcast and cable are actually doing well, not doing so well, and also great reviews and insight that only the tvratingsguide.com can bring. And here is, well, shall I say, one of the best writers on the staff although they've got great writers all around i just wanted to you know she's here now so anyways it's jessica boggs how are you my friend i'm doing okay just great to have you on the show back again talking some great tv show and tv ratings programming it's another great tv watching experience out there and i understand with all the tv streaming out there that maybe broadcasting cable television may still be going down a little bit but there's still millions of viewers out there watching television on a regular basis everybody's got their shows that they love which ones are performing well as of right now this tv season uh surprisingly the good doctor is doing very well all by Grey's anatomy and then on cbs as usual big bang theory on the cw it's a tie between the flash as usual but i was really surprised that supernatural and riverdale were both doing a little well i want to ask you this on the good doctor that is really looking strong and that is something that has picked up a lot of interest by the audience out there i know it's one of my wife's favorites uh, she really likes it as well but gray's anatomy what are your thoughts on how well it's doing it just celebrated its 300th episode what can you attribute this, I guess, continued, or actually, I think from my uh, perspective, I think they've actually gained some of the audience that they may have lost over the years. They may have regained in a renewed vigor as far as interest in the show is concerned. Well, with Ellen Pompeo being the center of the show, though, it's probably going to perk up some interest, but I do believe that the storylines constantly stay fresh in the viewers minds well that's absolutely correct uh, and i tell you what this is just a show that just keeps on going on strong no matter who leaves and departs and no matter who comes in like you said ellen pompeo uh she is a, an outstanding actress and a definitely a, someone that the show itself clearly stands behind as its foundation and its pillar of strength to keep on going strong well beyond the 300 episode marker I want to ask you real quick, what are your thoughts on some of the other programming in cable that you think is just doing well this year? I know, well, you've talked about CBS with 
with all the great things going on with the Big Bang Theory, as always, and and obviously NBC winning some time slots as well, surprisingly. But what are some of the things going on in the cable industry that you think are really standout shows right now this TV season? I have not seen that many, really, especially on Spike at the moment. But Shannar is not doing well because it got moved to a new network. And then I guess we better blame MTV for that. Well, but MTV and Viacom, let's just go Viacom, that the Spike, MTV, uh, the parent company of each. Well, I will ask you this, with everything that's going on with the cable TV season out there, there are some shows like American Horror Story Cult, as far as that's something that I don't know how well is it performing from previous seasons? Is it losing some muster or is it gaining some interest? Because I've heard talk about it this year being a little bit better than seasons past. I think a lot of it, mostly it's because the storyline is a little bit fresh in We got out of an election, though, so it's pretty interesting to see. Once again, I have Jessica Boggs from the TVRatingsGuide.com. TVRatingsGuide.com, your place to go to for everything TV ratings. They've got great reviews, great articles, great in-depth detail on what's going on in the TV rating scene. Jessica, I want to ask you real quick. There are some shows out there that are obviously doing well, like we've discussed before, but There's also some shows out there that are either on the fence or not doing well at all and they're close to being canceled or in some cases already have been canceled. So what shows on broadcast and cable are not performing or not, well, let's just put it right out there, are not up to the mustard this TV season? Going back to cable, I did say the Shannara Chronicles is not doing very well at the moment and some of TNT shows are are on the borderline with good behavior. It's not meeting expectations a little bit. That's two years in a row from what I remember because the last year previously, they had a tremendous amount of hype and a great ad campaign, but it didn't translate into overall great ratings. And it seems like this year is following the same kind of pattern, correct? Yeah. And Claws did a lot better than what good behavior is doing currently right now. So it's pretty interesting to see. You also have some some shows on MTV that are doing doing okay, and TRL is not doing well at the moment. That doesn't surprise me because it's one of those situations where it's a show that is from the past and probably should have stayed there, in my opinion. Yeah, it kind of should have stayed there, though. But on broadcast... Neither Dynasty or Valor is meeting expectations, but the only thing I could say with Dynasty is it has its Netflix deal internationally, and it's a show that's fully produced by CBS. You've stated before on the TVRatingsGuide.com that Dynasty, and I think this is alluded to on several articles that your crew has written, that Dynasty, I think, is going to get more than a fair shake as far as whether or not it's going to be canceled. Because I think, like you said, CBS is fully producing it. And from the fact also as well that there's just like, it's got the Netflix deal, but I think it's going to be given every single chance for success. So maybe there's a little bit longer leash than for some other shows that are out there. 
tvratingsguide.com, your place to go to for everything TV ratings. They've got great reviews, great articles, great in-depth detail on what's going on in the TV rating scene. Jessica, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. I can't wait to be back soon. That's awesome indeed. Yes, we truly, again, appreciate you being right here with us on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast and staying with us. We just cannot thank you enough for doing so. It was an awesome weekend again in the NFL. Week 10 has come and almost virtually gone <laughs> like that. And who better to break it down for me is my good friend. He is the man of myth, the legend behind the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, which you can get right now. But I would wait till Tuesday and Saturday because he's got episodes the brand new that drop on Tuesday and Saturday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, and SoundCloud. Although if you want to go right now, that's okay. Right after the show, you can do it. <laughs> it's my good friend, Tyler Baker. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I hope you are. I hope you're having a great weekend. Tell you what, man, a lot of great things going on, especially if you're a New England Patriots fan. They looked really good, and they have a stable of running backs that they can just juggle them, pick and choose. That team is 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 really hot right now at the point in the season where you want to start getting hot, getting ready for the playoffs. They looked really good tonight. What things stood out to you the most on this action-packed weekend, I know as a Redskins fan, that kind of you know oh. performance kind of stuck out from a defensive standpoint and not necessarily in good fashion. But some of the things that went on in the league really were noteworthy. So break it down for us. Just bring that knowledge forth and just <laughs> shower us all with that great info on the NFL. Well, there were a lot of six-win teams coming into this weekend, and they all got wins. Minnesota was one of them. They went up against the Washington Redskins. And you know what? When you don't catch passes and when you let opportunities slip in the NFL, you lose games. And that's what happened to the Redskins today. And also in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, without their starting left tackle, really, really missed that healthy offensive line. And they lost today. And they lost in kind of a brutal fashion. Dak Prescott got sacked eight times. And they were harassing him all day long, that being, of course, the Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons really needed a win. And they got it today. So now we have the playoff pictures really starting to come together in the NFL right now. And you've got a team like the New Orleans Saints. They have won seven in a row. 
and they are just not stopping. Some really great performances fantasy-wise from that team. Mark Ingram bounced back from last week. He was fumbling last week. Well, this week he got three touchdowns. <laughs> so the Rams are looking spectacular. They are a very good football team. We just got to see some good football teams be really good. And then we also got to see the San Francisco 49ers with their rookie head coach, their rookie general manager, they got their first win today. So congratulations to the San Francisco 49ers. Still waiting for the Browns to get a win. They're the only team right now that is winless in the NFL. But there were some noteworthy fantasy performances out there. Even though it wasn't a loss, Kirk Cousins ran for two touchdowns and threw for another. And that's some big points right there. I know it helped me out a lot, that's for sure. But they're, well, you were all in also in that game. Case Keenum, we were talking back previously about how he may or may not be a fringe quarterback that you may or may not want to start. Hopefully you had him starting this weekend because four touchdown passes later, he proved his worth at least for this weekend. But there were some other notable fantasy performances as well. Yeah, Case Keenum looked really good against a pretty good Redskins defense. I don't know if, if he's somebody you want to go out and get because Teddy Bridgewater is healthy. And that's a guy at the beginning of the season that they really had high expectations for. But Case Keenum today made a really good case for himself continuing to start there. But Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback of the future. Teddy Bridgewater is the guy that they want to start for them every week. So I don't know if going out and getting Case Keenum and getting one fantasy team, I don't know how much that's actually going to help you. But were there any other outstanding performances this weekend across the NFL from a fantasy situation that you think people need to key on going forward? Well, there are a lot of pieces of the Rams offense that are good to have. Robert Woods having a two-touchdown day. Sammy Watkins squeezed in a touchdown for himself as well. Of course, Mark Ingram with his three touchdowns. That was a huge fantasy day. And of course, there's always Tom Brady <laughs> throwing up 266, three touchdowns. Tom Brady's good. And when you watch him play, now we know why Bill Belichick was okay going just with no backup quarterback. <laughs> How they just shipped off those, those pieces that they had, got draft picks for him, and uh, all the faith in the world in Tom Brady. And he's, he, he looked really good. Some great info, obviously, on players you need to key on for your fantasy football team for the rest of the season and upcoming in the playoffs. Once again, it's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. You want to catch it when it drops every Tuesday and Saturday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, and SoundCloud. Check out his site, ffpater.com. And if you have any direct questions for Tyler, there's a great place to go for any questions on waiver wire trades and even just starting lineups or who do you think I should play instead of this person or that player or should I bench this player or whatnot. You just want to head over to the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group and you just check it out right there. You just ask those questions away. And actually, you also get to interact with about two, 300 different other people that are also interested in fantasy football as well. It's run and mediated by a great staff, headed off by my good friend. He is the man, myth, the legend, once again, of the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast, Tyler Baker. Tyler, as always, it's a great pleasure having you on the show and I'll tell you what, you're going to be part of a jam-packed Friday show on the PCC Multiverse. We're going to have a lot to chew on all over the place on our upcoming PCC Multiverse.
it's always a pleasure to come on and i love listening to your show so i'm super excited to hear it once again it's tyler baker from the fantasy football pater podcast catch it today on all of those great networks tyler we truly appreciate you being part of the pop culture cosmos okay auditions for the new earth station who co-host take one go ahead hello stonehenge who takes the pandora cup takes the universe but bad news everyone cause guess who ha listen you lot you're always in about it's really very distracting could you all just stay still a minute because i am talking not too shabby can you close this up Earth Station Who, a fun mashup celebrating over 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. You never know where the TARDIS is going to go next. Earth Station Who podcast can be found at www.earthstationwho.com. Earth Station Who is a proud member of the ESO network. We are up on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher Radio or wherever fine podcasts are found. Peace and we are done. Did I pass the audition? We'll get back to you. Next. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate being part of the broadcast here today. And if for some reason you cannot check out our shows, both Monday and Friday, the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse, which are the number one and number three shows on the podcast radio network. There's still other ways to get the program, and you can do so by heading over to the Pop Culture Cosmos channel today on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, Gunning Geek Network, Cast Crunch, PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com, and also Podchaser as well. Josh has also got his great experience, including Attack at the Humanicans, every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on a podcast radio network. Josh has got his great thing going on with Humanican Media. So, Josh, what's going on? within the wonderful world of Humanica Media. The What About This will be back in December. Again, we'll have a new Super BS up this week and probably a new episode of Inside Sports. So check us out on Facebook for the updates, and you'll always know on the both uh, Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanica Media. But yeah, thanks for tuning in. As always, indeed, we truly appreciate it. And I want to make sure everybody out there knows not only are we going to talk in Justice League, and also as well, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Battlefront 2 on our Friday show, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network, the PCC Multiverse. But our Black Friday coverage starts this Friday on that show. And we might have a surprise for you as well in regards to Black Friday coverage. So we always take great importance to the Black Friday scene each and every year as far as ad leaks, as far as what you might want to go for and what you might be interested in some quick thoughts from both of us on exactly where you might want to lean towards you on the black friday shopping season we're going to definitely give you our thoughts on both the friday show and this show the pop culture cosmos show next week so you definitely want to check that out indeed josh i'll tell you what 
Did you get the news this week that two long-standing rivals within the toy industry and other stuff as well, Hasbro and Mattel, they may be coming together. There are talks, they're just talks right now, similar to what Disney and Fox have been doing in regards to Hasbro, amazingly, buying Mattel. This changes back from when I was a kid when Mattel could have bought Hasbro. And because Hasbro, even though it had the Transformers just starting out and G.I. Joe and some other stuff, they were still most likely being dominated on a daily basis by Mattel's Hot Wheels and Barbie. Oh, how it has changed. So quickly, I want to hear your thoughts on the possibility of these two toy icons coming together with Hasbro possibly buying the Mattel company. What a great time. We're two movies away from Fast and the Furious ending, and they're about to buy Hot Wheels. So I'm seeing a major franchise in the in the making here. I don't know what the market is for toys right now. Do a lot of people still play with action figures and stuff? I know it's like Lego is huge right now, and like the 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 collector toys that like us nerds like are made by by other companies. But do they still sell a lot of that stuff? I haven't really paid attention since I was a kid. They still do a lot of business out there. I mean, obviously, it's not what it once was with so many other diversions for kids out there with video games, tablets, electronics, things of that nature. But there's still millions of dollars to be spent out there. All the major retailers have it. But I think the best sign that it isn't what it once was is that the fact that Toys R Us has had its troubles as well. So Mattel being on the verge of being bought by Hasbro, if it should go through, is a great sign that, yes, the industry isn't what it once was, but there's still room for major players like Mattel and Hasbro. And Hasbro still makes a ton of money on its licensing with the Transformer movies, G.I. Joe movies that came out earlier this decade, and so on. So they're, they're still, and of course, they're responsible for a lot of the Star Wars toys that come out and get produced. So that is probably why Hasbro still has the ability to remain strong for so long, even in this day and age when electronics have really come to the forefront as a major player in the toy industry. Speaking of electronics, Xbox One X just debuted on the marketplace last week. Josh, I want to hear your thoughts because analysts are now upgrading the holiday expectation in regards to sales for the Xbox One X from a, okay, 500,000 this holiday season to almost a million. So Josh, seeing how it's almost doubled what the expectations are for the Xbox One X, what are your thoughts on how well you think the Xbox One X will do this holiday season? Yeah, it's kind of crazy the amount of people buying the Xbox One and I'm hearing nothing but good things. Good for them, good for them, because that's something that Microsoft definitely needed. Phil Spencer had said that they realized that they're having problems with first-party AAA titles coming out, and that's the thing that PlayStation has always had in their favor is the fact that they have so many first-party games, and you know they're they're like that. That's why their conferences are like, oh, can I show you all these games and not give you release dates? And they can do stuff like that because Microsoft isn't really competing in that area, and they have a lot of indie games, but. It's not really a niche that nobody else has, you know, and hopefully we'll see some exclusive Xbox One X games here soon. And uh, maybe they can revive a series like Fable and continue this momentum that Microsoft seems to be building at the moment. But I think going into holidays, 
yeah, I don't think a lot of people are going to be buying PlayStation 4 as much as they're going to be buying Xbox One Xs or Nintendo Switches. And obviously Nintendo Switch is a little bit cheaper, but, you know, if you look in, like, the Black Friday ads, there's a lot of, like, 4K televisions, a lot of stuff that, like, you could easily go in and spend, you know, less than $1,000 on an entire 4K entertainment setup. So, I, yeah, good for them. Good for them. And I hope that things continue to uh, trend in their favor. But I'm sure a lot of people would like to see something exclusive because I imagine if they made something exclusive for the Xbox One X, it could look pretty spectacular. Well, when it comes to the Xbox One X, yes, it is a $500 price tag, but it is very interesting to see that analysts have not only given a higher expectation for sales for this holiday season, but almost doubling it is a definite surprise for such an expensive console. It just tells me, like you said, that people are willing to go ahead and spend that extra kind of money for something that is going to produce a really quality game and a quality output with the 4K capabilities of that system. Because people, if people, it just tells me that people are going to be buying 4K televisions right and left this holiday season. But I don't know about if that's going to be the case entirely i think people are just going to have a a solid spending season because switch is going to be doing extremely well like you've talked about a couple weeks ago but also as well i think ps4 and also xbox one s both going under the 200 dollars mark tells me that there's going to be a lot of systems sold this holiday season the xbox one s still produces and streams out at 4K as regards to the Blu-ray or also streaming options. So that could be something there as well. And it going under $200 could be very interested as well. So I think Microsoft is going to have a strong holiday season overall with, with the pricing structure of under $200 and also the $500 Xbox One X as well. We got to talk about this before we head on out. Josh, I know you heard the news as well. We were talking earlier about 2K having its meeting with the shareholders in regards to announcing its numbers and also the fact that they, yes, are going to add microtransactions or consumer spending opportunities, as they call it, on every game from here on out. Yay, yay, yay. But they did announce that GTA 5 has now shipped over 85 million copies. So if the sell-through is over 82 and a half, which is very likely, they announced that GTA 5, either now or by the end of the year, is going to be over that 82 and a half million sold-through mark that Wii Sports has and become the biggest selling video game of all time. So I ask you, Josh, 85 million copies of Grand Theft Auto 5, and there seems to be no end of the popularity in sight. What does that tell you about how well the Grand Theft Auto series has done overall? Well, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. That They're good games. They last and they have just the, the fact that the map is so big and you can do so much. You can mod and do all this stuff. It's such a game that's easy to access and so versatile and you can do anything you want on it. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Because I know that's the reason a lot of people like games like Crackdown and Red Dead Redemption, which is kind of, you know, it's it's sort of open world. People have always said, you know what, I think Skyrim would be a fun game if we could have our buddies jump in. But that's a big uh, appeal to people. Like, you know, there are multiplayer games. There are people who like multiplayer games that they can close the servers off to. And Grand Theft Auto is a perfect example of that. And that's awesome that it is doing so well. I'm curious to see how 
you know, a few years down the line, how it holds up to PUBG or if PUBG still continues this momentum that it has right now. Imagine what would have happened had they stopped their modding community. Remember they were talking about that a while back? Yes, I do. And that's, remember, the Grand Theft Auto Online came out later after the original release of the game itself. So it created its own additional excitement. And this is without even the single-player story modes that they had said that they were going to tack on, but have decided to say, no, actually, we're not going to do it at all. And it hasn't seemed to stop any momentum at all for GTA V. Gamers aren't like, you know, like movie or, or novel fans. Like their, their temperament towards somebody or something can change just like that. So uh, let's hope that they don't get lazy. And maybe I know with Red Dead Redemption's in one coming out, right? With that coming out, that it's going to maybe we'll get a Western Grand Theft Auto. Like that would be pretty rad. So, you know, let, let's hope that these kind of games continue to come out so that way we're not. Uh, I know, was it 2K was talking about maybe doing the microtransactions in future games, but... Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's cool, man. It's good to see a game that, you know, it's been around since I was a teenager still doing so well. I know a lot of the franchises that came out back then, like Halo or Call of Duty and stuff like that, have numbers been descending with each entry. But hey, good for them, man. And that doesn't discount the fact that GTA 5 is the biggest selling game of all time and with all that it has to offer, deservedly so. One last thing before we head on out. Josh, you just talked about Skyrim and mentioned that real quickly. How about a good hand for Bethesda? Because I'll tell you what, they have been able to so intelligently repackage this game in so many different ways for the past few years, even now, it's not only coming out on the Switch, but it's now being packaged with a bundle and in a commercial that you're seeing now all over the place for the PlayStation VR bundle. So I ask you, Josh, how is Bethesda doing it with Skyrim, which is a game that came out six years ago? They're just taking advantage of all the new technology coming out. Like, if there wasn't a Nintendo Switch or a VR, if these consoles weren't taking flight, we wouldn't see this type of thing. But they're just being smart. Like, they created a good game, a game that lasts. And you can tell that there was a demand for it by, you know, the special edition that came out. And it's just, they see these new consoles, the Switch and the VR, and they're innovating. Like, that's, that's what we like to see from these big companies. That's cool. It's good to see like a video game that truly holds up. Like when did that come out? Back in 2011, I think. Okay. Yeah. And so it's really just, it stood the test of time and it's six years later, we're still playing it and still enjoying it. So looking forward to it. Granted, we do want a new Skyrim entry, but Bethesda's always been good like that. They literally have games for everybody. Where other companies like EA won't take the time to do something like that, you know, like give us our Mass Effect remasters, but Bethesda does, and they listen to what the fans want, and they even stuff the fans might not want, they throw out there and, you know, they try it anyways. They're an innovative company, and for that, God bless them. They deserve all the credit for so intelligently repackaging Skyrim, just being repackaged and put on the different systems. And look right now, six years later, they're still making it fresh by putting it on these different consoles and also packaging it with the PlayStation VR. It being included in a package with the PlayStation VR makes it that much more attractive. 
What are your thoughts on any of the topics that we talked about on today's program, whether it was the box office, any of the video game talk, or even Hasbro and Mattel? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanic and Media, Game Source, and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture. You cannot assimilate that title into your normal zing sling high helium tagline. What? Exactly. Pretty good opening. Okay, you're you're borderlining on Mark Wahlberg now. The Pop Culture Cosmos? What what is that? Cosmic Crossfire? But we've got a great show scheduled for you today on the Cosmic Crossfire. A lot of great things that are going on in the wonderful realm of pop culture. So tell me, Rob, what's going on in that wonderful realm of pop culture? Someone we've discussed before on the Cosmic Crossfire. Someone I know you've discussed on the pop culture cosmos and the multiverse. And he comes up. He is one of the A-list film directors out there. But he's still a bit of a question mark. He's still an enigma. We wonder why he's making the decisions he, he's making. We wonder and question about the success of some of the franchises that he's made. Talking about James Cameron. Of course, pointing to the Avatar franchise. And, you know, word has, has hit for the last month or so about Terminator and how he's getting the rights back to finally do that. And he's going to make... At least another film, or maybe ten films with Arnold Schwarzenegger, or ten Terminator films, or wh- or whatever he's doing. And I and I saw another article about it today, and and I don't even know the gist of the article, but it really got me thinking. This is a pretty good filmmaker, you know. He's made some landmark films like Titanic, Aliens, of course, Terminator, Avatar. Regardless of what you think of the films, you can't deny the success that the guy has. He hasn't really made a bad film, I don't think. Um, But I do wonder, do we want to see more original content from a guy that is capable of creating that he's doing? Or do we want to see more of what he's already done? And for a guy like Cameron, you know, we've talked about Avatar, where he's got, what, four films coming out now to, to continue off the first one that came out a decade ago. And he's going back to the Terminator franchise. I just feel like, 
don't want that rehash. And that this is not like the reboot fatigue stuff. I really want to see somebody who's capable of creating so many things, who's done so many things to give us something more original, to be that uh, flag bearer of originality in, in the realm of cinema. Let me ask you this. What were your thoughts of The Abyss? Uh, it was a pretty landmark movie. Like It did a lot of... I, I know a lot of people in the dive circles like, that, are, that are underwater divers, so they loved it. I thought uh, it really dovetails to like his love and stuff for deep sea exploration and stuff, and I, I, I like it, to be honest. I think it has issues. Uh, I think it's a watchable movie, but I think it moves the pacing, and I just think it's a little bit too long. Uh, I know that there was talk of always, you know, going to a shorter, shortening it up a bit. Um, I know there's, I think there is a longer version. There's a director's cut, an extended version. Is that correct? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I feel this, all those same points. I feel the same that way about true lies. I don't like true lies. That true lies is like the epitome of nineties action film to me where lots of explosions and, and crazy vehicles and chases and pithy one liners. So again, regardless of what you think of his films, he knows how to make good films. And make well, he knows how back. to make successful films. Even yeah. The Abyss was, I know The Abyss was not exactly that commercially ac acceptable, but it still, you know, it didn't lose uh, that money. You know, obviously he, he still extended that beyond as a, for a great career. But yes, uh, I would like to see him challenge himself and do new things. But obviously at this time, he doesn't want to. He wants to immerse himself into the Avatar franchise. And he wants to have still a hand uh, in the kitty when it comes to rebirthing the Terminator franchise with familiar faces that may or may not, I don't know. I, I don't even know if audiences will embrace Arnold Schwarzenegger in the role of Terminator from this point forward, or if they even care at this point, uh, Linda Hamilton coming back uh, for me is, is kind of cool, but I don't know if it's, it's a deal breaker either which way, if they were to do something with the Terminator franchise and I would tell James Cameron that what I'd like to see, I'd like to see something all new, completely different, maybe starting from scratch from it. If you really want to stick to the Terminator franchise, just really just doing something different and outside the box with the franchise but that's just me uh and but i know if something comes out of it that you really cannot go really too much outside the box if you're involving those well-known characters from the film as a, as for avatar uh like i said is the cultural footprint for avatar really i don't know uh, is it still there? I don't think it's there, and it's been gone for a long time. So I don't think really pe a lot, enough people are going to care once Avatar 2, 3, 4 come out, like you, were, you had said before previously when we talked about it. Yeah, we're going to have a little fun now. We're going to have, like, it's almost like a fantasy football kind of thing. Okay. You got James Cameron under contract as a studio head. And we'll play, we'll say we're in the fictitious world of you being whatever studio that you want. In the past 10 years, which film do you think you, would it have been great to assign James Cameron to that he wasn't on and somebody else took? Like, what, what film that's come out in the last five or 10 years that it would have been a great opportunity for someone like Cameron to, uh, to create? Is there any film comes to mind? Yeah, I think one that sticks out for me is um, the most recent one by Luc Besson. Um, off the top of my head. Let me check it out one moment. 
Valerian. That's right. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. I think he could have probably done something a little bit better, uh, a little bit more larger scale. And I think he would have gotten actors that would have embraced their roles better and could have handled their their out in front profiles a lot better than the individuals in that movie. Because one of the things that's cited with Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets is the the leads coast the lead stars are just no not up to the challenge and i think at james cameron cameron james cameron at least knows how to get the best out of his actors and actresses in order to provide a performance on a scale that that's worth it for something that i think could have on a on a higher scale could have been just really something that that could have been very special well, there's two films, and they came out in the same year that uh, I'm going to suggest that I think he would have been able to lend a really nice touch to. Oh, well, let me add one more. Dark okay. Tower. Dark Tower. I think the Dark Tower film could have been really a lot better in his hands. Okay. okay. So my two picks are Spectre. I think seeing James Cameron take on a James Bond film would be a real interesting uh, experiment. I think he's got the chops to do stuff that is very stealthy and uh, thrilling at the same time doing something as big. Say that Say that again. It's the film name? Spectre. Okay, thank you. I'll re-put that. Do you want me to recap? I no, no, no. I got everything yeah. else. It, I oh, got everything. I'll make it I easy to the edit. No, I got it. Yeah, I got everything else, but I got it's kind of like, <laughs> so the one film that I'm going to throw first out is Spectre, the James Bond flick. Uh, I really think Cameron could do an excellent job uh, nailing a big blockbuster action piece like we've seen. We talked about True Lies already. And I th- we've seen that he can handle the stealthy kind of moody thriller genre as well with stuff like Aliens. Uh, or the abyss for that matter, or even some scenes in Terminator. He, I think him taking on a Bond film would have been a much better turn for Spectre than what we got, even though it performed really well. Given that script, I think he would have done really well with that. I agree with you on that because the film itself is not considered very good, even though it made a ton of cash. I think a lot of that is due to the fact that Skyfall was such a good movie and performed so well people still had that good vibes going into see Spectre. I just think that there could have been a better payoff when it came to the film itself. And I know you and I both cited from the beginning, especially the beginning part uh, in Mexico, that actually was just really substandard. Now, the other film I'm going to mention, Gerald, this is definitely wish list territory, is The Force Awakens. I think Cameron could have brought something really new and and refreshing to the entire Star Wars universe. Uh, I think that he would have done a better job than than JJ. I think he would have handled some of the finer storytelling points. I think that he would have handled some of the action scenes better. And I think he would have brought a cohesiveness and an understanding of vision to the entire franchise since this is what he's done. Uh, so far, I don't think he needs to be the J.J. Abrams where he is the overarching kind of grandfather or architect of everything that's going on there. But I think when you want to work with a director who, who may only direct one film, 
you you want somebody who understands the bigger picture and can see how it rolls out. Now, J.J. Abrams, obviously, you know, having taken on series is like uh, Lost and, and Angel. Was it Angel or was it, uh, what's that one with Jennifer Garner that he, that he did? Alias? Alias. He understands vision and long-term storytelling for sure. I just, can you imagine what a James Cameron Star Wars film could be? I think that would have been a really special treat for fans. And who knows with the, who knows what's going on with what people are suggesting in terms of everything going past episode nine. We, we could still get one. If, if he makes it past the eight month point where everybody seems to get fired. This is true. I'll tell you like this to, you know, I'm wearing my storm stormtrooper shirt today. I just going out and about people are saying, Oh, what a cool shirt. What a cool shirt. At least on a couple occasions. Someone that I was uh, at the grocery store and I was talking to, he was saying, you know, I, I hope The Last Jedi really works out a lot better. I said, why? Because I'm a big fan of the Star Wars universe and the last two films really didn't you know, measure up in his opinion. And I said, wow, that's, you know, what's going on? What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Rogue One, he didn't like for various reasons. But when he came to The Force Awakens, he said it was just the last hope.
so that you can get to the 700 800 million dollar thing and make you know 100 million dollars i'm not disagreeing with you on the amount that you spend because it's the old adage three to three to three and a half times whatever the production budget is before you actually see a true profit but i will say that at least the first time out i think it's a safe bet for a billion dollars plus at the box office worldwide well we'll have to wait a little while longer before we we see that and and to see what is crazier between itunes 8.5 billion dollar revenue in the last year or if disney actually ends up acquiring most of 21st century fox corporation I certainly uh, hope so for fans of Marvel that they can get the X-Friend franchise. I'd love to see Hugh Jackman change his mind and come up there, claws a-blazing right in the middle of the the Infinity Wars. The only thing I don't like about it is it's it's more power that's consolidated into fewer hands. We already see too many safe decisions about what gets released. Fewer and fewer films are getting released. We're getting a lot of recycled and rebooted and sequelized properties, consolidating those choices and decisions under fewer people is not going to fix that. It's not like there's a big trickle-down effect where it's going to somehow make it easier for independent filmmakers or mid-level or you know moderate-level budgeted films to get out there because Disney now has more libraries. It's, it's not going to help anybody. It's going to make it harder, a lot harder. And when it comes to like these theater demands that they're enforcing on Star Wars, well, you remove a major studio out of that, then that gives them even more control and more terms to dictate to theater owners on, on what gets released and how it gets released. It's, I don't know if it's a good thing. Well, people for a long time have asked, begged 21st Century Fox to get to sell back or give back the the important franchises back over to the Marvel Universe that they feel has been damaged, has and especially in the case of the Fantastic Four, has almost been made irrelevant because of the poor showing of the films that have been made previously within those realms by 21st Century Fox. So Logan obviously is a, is a representative of what's good about the X-Men franchise that has been done by the studio, but there are actually very few good movies, in my opinion, from the X-Men franchise. And obviously there's nothing for me that that's worth counting for when it comes to Fantastic Four. So I'd like to see it in the hands back. I'd like to see it back in the hands of Marvel. And hey, if they've got to take everything else from 21st Century Fox, so be it. But that's what I mean. Like there's a big difference between having to acquire you know, 75% of 21st Century Fox and just buying the rights back to those franchises. It's a massive, massive difference. But they you know, don't they, want to do it. They obviously would have... Oh, I get it. But instead of spending $15 billion, they could probably spend $1 billion and get the rights back to X-Men and Fantastic Four and be fine, you know? But as a filmmaker and as a guy who likes watching media, and you should too, and everybody listening should consider this. If Disney buys 21st Century Fox... We're not going to get out of the problem of original content getting out there. It's going to make it a lot harder. We're going to see a lot more uh, of the same stuff recycled on screen. And you think superhero fatigue is bad now? You just wait to give Disney more costumed characters that have built-in appeal. I'm not going to say I disagree with you on that sense. but I, I'm glad. But I will tell you this, that if that's the case and that happens there's still at least the, the, the hope that all these other studios, like possibly in the future, Apple, 
it, Netflix, the Hulus, the you know all these streaming services that are out there already that want and have a hunger to get new projects, to create new projects, will do stuff out of the box to at least satiate some of that need. One could only hope. Speaking of superheroes, I watched Hancock last night. That was a pretty good movie. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I don't know why I throw it out there. I'm just thinking of original superheroes that I, that you know probably don't get enough credit. You didn't like it? Peter Berg. Peter Berg. Peter yeah. Berg is all over the place on his films. We'll just say that. <laughs> all right. Battleship. Well, Battleship, need I say more? I like Battleship. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You just sunk my Battleship. Okay. That'll do it for another uh, episode of Cosmic Crossfire here. Uh, we've got some good chats there about what happens to Luke between episode six and seven. What do you think? Twitter is doubling its uh, posting size to 280. You can message us on Twitter, of course. James Cavern, is he going to stay in the nostalgic locker or is he going to actually dare to do something original uh, You know, before the year 2029? And iTunes has a crazy revenue and Disney might buy Fox. Weigh in with your thoughts. Gerald, where can they uh, reach out to us and let us know what they think? You just sank my battleship. Let's try this first at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos Game Source and Humanican Media on Facebook as well. I like it. All right. Don't forget to drop us a review if you're listening on iTunes. Those reviews help us with our reach, help us with our placement. And you know what? They make us all feel fuzzy and warm inside. Uh, that they do. We truly appreciate it. We've gotten several five-star reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts recently, and we're most appreciative of it. Gotten a lot of good words on social media about how well our show is doing, and, and we just cannot thank everyone enough for those kind words and comments. And also, congratulations, Rob, again, for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and becoming, again, for the ninth month in a row, the number one show on the Pop Culture, excuse me, the Podcast Radio Network, and also the number three show, the PCC Multiverse as well. So definitely uh, looking good. Our audience is actually even growing each and every month. So we just thank everybody out there for listening. And because we're doing so well, it's all because of you. Great. Well, I was hoping you would add on to it, you know, with your thoughts because you're helping out with these shows and whatnot, but that's okay. Yeah, Gerald, I agree. Everything is really great to see this this thing grow, and we would definitely appreciate <laughs> every time somebody rates it. Five stars or nothing, go home, go big. We like that a lot. Uh, it certainly is inspiring. So thank you so much. And, you, hey, we've got two shows out there now, maybe a third show, maybe a fourth. We're, uh, we're, th- we're always considering options. We like where we are currently. But uh, you let us know. You, you write to us and let us know. Sounds good indeed. Thanks so much, Rob, again, as always, for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and for another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire.